My third P. <laughs> By the way, can you see that screen if this isn't in there? You can see it? Okay. So, yeah, let's talk about presence, first of all. Um, uh, I believe, I, I came to this conclusion, this understanding way late in life, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I started to understand that the way God works in the world is through his presence. And uh, if you look at the Bible, from beginning to end, uh, presence is the dominant theme about the way God comes into the world, the way he does anything in the world. Uh, so, you know, from Genesis 1, you know, you've got the, uh, the episode. Well, actually, there's this guy named John Walton who wrote this book, Genesis 1. He's an Old Testament scholar, and he kind of showed that the way the Garden of Eden is described in Genesis chapter 1, it's a sanctuary for God's presence. And then when, when the fall happens, as described in Genesis 1, what is the first thing? It's, it's something like, Adam, why are you hiding from my presence, right? Presence is, is the dominant way God works. And then, and then um, it's really a theme that goes entirely throughout the rest of the Bible. Like if you remember Exodus uh, 33. So, so you got Moses. So God decides basically to save the world by, pardon me, this is, this is extremely irritating that I didn't think of this before. I started. Um, say what? Oh, great. Well, actually, when we gather around the table in our home, if anybody even looks at their cell phone, it's like a major, like, sin. It's like you have sinned. You are judged. You are judged. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so I was somewhere around Moses <clears throat> and uh, the fact that God chooses to enter the world through this nation of Israel and he's going to, he promises to Abraham, I will bless the nations through you. And, 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 but, but it goes, it doesn't go very well because the nation of Israel is, is a rebellious, disobedient, you know, envious, jealous people. And so, um, by the way, commercial. If you have trouble reading the Old Testament, if you have trouble understanding the violence of the Old Testament, you must read Greg Boyd's two-volume Crucifixion of the Warrior God. That book, well, it's actually two volumes, when a book is two volumes, do you have to say that books? <laughs> that book changed just so powerfully ministered and helped me understand how God works through the violence, antagonisms, hurts, pains, sufferings of the world. How he doesn't come in, dominate, and remove and destroy people. He comes in on the terms of the world and redeems and renews through his presence. Greg Boyd, Crucifixion of the Warrior God. 1,400 pages. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 hey, okay, he's got a small version, 300 pages. It's called, uh, I don't know what it's called, 
What's it called? Crossvision. Cross. We're, we're doing a teaching series on it right now. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you are? Yeah. You are my heroes. I love that. Greg Boyd, I love. I can tell you a few personal stories and encounters with Greg Boyd. But a couple, two or three more glasses of wine. And maybe. Um, so presence is the way God works. Like if you look, I seriously think if you like open your Bible, we could try this as an experiment, but we won't. Open your Bible to any page and just put your finger somewhere within the range of 10 to 20 verses. You will see God's presence talked about, exposited, related to in those. And it's, it's everywhere in the Bible. And so uh, do you remember uh, Moses at the mountain this is after he's brought the people out of Egypt and he goes up there this is the the Ten Commandments episode and or, or no this, this is the second time and they're down there doing the golden calf episode and and God's getting really angry and uh, basically God says something like I've had it with you people I am pissed off and uh, I am leaving you go without me and Moses says he goes if you are not with us we are not your people we are not your people apart from your presence we're no longer your people and God relents and he says okay I will go with you that's a that's a condensed version of what happened but the point is then they then the tabernacle you know, God's presence, this very visceral, real, concentrated presence that Moses goes out and they all walk. And his presence guides them in the tabernacle. Uh, the temple, Jesus comes as the culmination. Emmanuel, God with us. John chapter 114. He came. Um, uh, John 114. I've had a glass of wine. Quote, come on, you do, you know. Uh, he came among us, tabernacled among us, and walked among us. You know what? I can't believe I, I can't believe I don't have that verse memorized because I do, but I just can't remember it. But okay, John one fourteen, folks. I have a Bible. I know this is one of those rare times when I actually know the reference and can't recite the verse. Normally, it's the opposite. This is what happens when you get. I just turned sixty, so this is what happens. Thank you. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt, dwelt, tabernacles, presence among us. And we have seen his glory. Paul, the Apostle Paul calls the church in 1 Corinthians 6 God's temple in the world. We are his presence, you know. If you look all the way to Revelation 21, uh, uh, and the new heavens and the new earth, and there will be no need for a temple because God fully dwells with humanity. This, this theology of presence, by the way, you, you can read John Levinson's book on the temple and the presence. You can read Gordon Fee's book, God's empowering presence. That's only 650 pages. You, 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 there, this, this 
understanding how that this is God and this is how he comes through his presence and this is how he works through his presence. And so the church is about making space for his presence. Um, if you... If you read, you know, I, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but Ephesians chapter 1, I think, is the, the single biggest, best, hugest ecclesiological passage in, in the New Testament, ecclesiology, about the Bible. And if you read the last uh, few verses of chapter 1, God has put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This power, I am absolutely convinced, is not talking about coercive military power it's his presence has been released by his resurrection through the holy spirit through us and it says god has put his power to work in christ when he raised him from the dead and sealed and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule power authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come like this incredible vision that God is ruling through Christ over the whole world. His presence is at work everywhere. The, the, the Methodists call that prevenient grace. He's always out there drawing everyone and everything to himself. He won't be coercive. He will not coerce you. You have to cooperate. That's God is love. But it's through his presence that he works. And he has put all things under his feet, and he's made him head over all things for the church, which is his body. And then this key line, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he fills all in all. He's everywhere. He's present everywhere. But the fullness of him, that word pleroma in Greek, this guy named Marcus Bart who uh, wrote, the best commentary on Ephesians. He was Karl Barth's son. And I believe this was like 1980s. He wrote uh, the Ephesians comment. He says, Pleroma is an allusion to the Shekinah presence of God in the temple. That's who we, when we make space in this place, we make space for his presence to become fully known and manifest. There's this guy named A.W. Tozer who... Uh, we talk about omnipresence and then manifest presence. So God is everywhere. He's present everywhere. When I go across the street into that bar, and if I, if, I get a, if I get a glass of beer, and I sit there, and I pray what the Roman Catholics call the epiclesis, which is the prayer you pray, right before the Eucharist, right before you say, Lord, it's basically, Lord, be present in this meal. Or another way, make your presence known in this bread and cup. Or the, the Catholics believe in transubstantiation, so this epiclesis actually effectuates the bread and the wine becoming the body and blood. But I think that's, for various reasons, historically may have gone overboard. Nonetheless, there's a piece of truth in that, and I'm not wishing not wishing to uh, denigrate the Roman Catholics and their theology of transubstantiation. I think, by the way, they've backed off on that a little bit. But all that to say, when I pray the epiclesis in the bar across the street and say, Lord, be present in this alcoholic beverage that I'm not actually in the alcohol 
Don't tra don't tra transubstantiate the alcohol. That's <laughs> Be present here in this conversation and what's happening here. Help me tend to what you're doing here. I believe that he promises to reveal himself and be present. But we don't make that kind of space in our culture. We don't, we're too busy. We're on Facebook, Twitter. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm on Facebook and Twitter <laughs> also. But we, we have lost the ability to make space. And so when we gather here on Sunday, um, we make space through the practices that Christ has given us. So, so uh, can you put that uh, like little uh, slide up there, Zach? I, I, not that one. That's one of my more brilliant artistic wor works of art. Uh, you see three circles somewhere? No, I know you do. Oh, there, I see three circles. Yeah. So, um, first of all, before we go on, so that's my first peak. I got my first P done in about 10 minutes, I think, if I'm judging my time right. <laughs> that was pretty good, wasn't it? Oh, man, this is so good. I am, I am so used. I, I don't want to get judged here, but I drink a lot of two-buck chuck. <laughs> this is so good. Whatever this stuff is, man, wow. You know, I buy it by the cases. Somebody told me um, that I shouldn't do it, something about... And they don't know about whether it's exploitive or whatever. And so I have to search that out a little bit more. But my wife won't drink it now anymore anyways. She won't, she won't drink two-buck chuck. Not because of some moral ethical issue. It just sucks. The, the, the wine sucks. But <laughs> I, after drinking this, I'm thinking she might be right. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on to the second P, presence. I just think it makes so much sense in terms of how we must learn how to relate to God. But there must be a lot of questions. I can think of about 50 questions on that. You got one? Don't you want to let uh, other people talk? I mean, yeah. my goodness, you're the... You'll get the ball rolling. How do you personally, your family, or people in your church talk about the level of aggression to protecting and making time for that presence that you speak to? Well, first of all, we don't use the word aggression. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Um, I believe I've gotten attached to this way of talking. We need to make space for his presence. Um, and a lot of people say, this is God we're talking about. I mean, couldn't he rev up the bulldozer and just come on in if he wants to? No. You see, he could, but he won't. This is not the God we know through the nation of Israel and Jesus Christ to the world. We have to make space for him. And, but when we do, my goodness, what kinds of things happen. But 
I can't speak for Nigeria or New Zealand. But in the United States, we have so screwed up our lives that we have no space for God. And we, are, we live an impoverished, depressed existence because of it. And we think we can solve the world's problems through that, that those set of buildings across. Is, is there a river between here and Washington, D.C.? I don't know. If I was in Alexandria, there'd be a river, but not here. Across whatever. We think we can solve the world's problems through aggression or getting the right vote. Um, I don't want to get too theological with you today, but uh, there is a difference between the way God preserves the world and the way God redeems the world. And the way God preserves the world, he often uses governments, like Cyrus in the, in, in the uh, prophets, to get Israel back in gear. But that's not the way he will redeem the world. He will redeem the world through his presence. So, Go ahead and vote. I know I'm in Washington, D.C. area. I know I'm probably offending half of you already. But go ahead and vote. Go work for the government. Go ahead. Have a good time. But don't expect too much. Jesus is going to save the world if we'll let him. And, and right now, I don't think we're letting him. <laughs> I don't think we're doing too much to let Jesus save the world, to save our lives to save our families' lives. You know, uh, now you're going to get me going on a rant, and I'm just going, wah, 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 wah. You know, you know, you know my, <laughs> my son got a few C's and a few D's. I didn't tell you about the D's. Now nah, he'll never look the same. Uh, <laughs> and my, my wife's very upset about it. My wife's a Baptist. She was raised with, you know, got to get it done, and the sledgehammer approach to disciplinarian on the get the grades done I'm let's make space let's talk about this okay we're gonna get some things done with my wife laying down the hammer okay if you don't get this done A's and B's blah 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 and and then okay son let's talk about it. what's going on A's and B's yeah you see that just just sense that moment like my my son's 13 just turned 13 um, still, I'm, I, I admit I'm ADHD. He has not yet realized he's ADHD. <laughs> Worse than I am, probably. But uh, I've just learned to deal with it. But uh, if he's sitting in a, if we're in a restaurant every Saturday morning, which we are, and he's looking around or he's looking at the TV, and I'm trying to get a seat away from the TV, the only way I'm going to connect is I'm going to pray the Epiclesis, Lord. Be. I know. I know. This sounds a little bit humorous. Sometimes, when I explain this to people, they think I'm making a joke. I am not making a joke. Lord, be present here and help me to tend to what you're doing in this boy's life. And I'll just cast my eyes, my vision, my brain, my being onto him, and I'll just sit there like this. And it won't be a look of judgment. It, I don't know what, it, what happens. But something happens. And he locks in. And we start talking and connecting. That is a small microcosm experience of the presence of God. And that's what God wants. Not only in our personal lives, in our social lives, 
He even wants it over there. Am I pointing towards what, a Capitol building? He even wants it over there, but there's no way in hell people are letting him in. So, you know, go over there and run for Congress and try. But most often, God goes where the people are not in power. He goes among the marginalized, the poor, the hurting, the pain, the suffering. And he opens up space and he wants to work. And all we have to do is make space for him. So presence. I forget what question you asked, but presence is the way God works. Can we make space for him? It's the most important thing you can do in your life and for your community and for your family. And this little space here, I don't care if it's 10 people, 12 people, 120 people. If it's, Jesus had 12, so I'm going to start with 12. If it's at least 12, you're going to change the world if you can tend to Christ's presence and what he wants to do in the world. What was the question you asked again? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get into the spaces here and how I practice it. But you know, here's here's the close circle. So let's get on. Let's move on. Unless, let me just pause here for a minute. Anybody got any questions or metaphysical questions about presence? I love talking about the metaphysical realities of God at work through His presence. Why I keep asking myself, why did I miss this for so long in my life? I played croquet with Mrs. Tozer when I was five years old in Canada. I should have, you know, why didn't I get this? But I just think, man, it's, it's just, we can go through so many years of our lives thinking Christianity is about, oh, I got saved from my sin. I'm now going to heaven when I die. Okay, now what? And actually, we got saved through the atonement in Christ to be again in his presence, to be restored to his presence. Any questions about presence? Any, anything to add about presence? Anything you've experienced in your own life about presence? You know, um, I'm going to answer that question uh, when I'm with people. And uh, in a minute, I'm going to, well, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but uh, practices. I believe God's given us in this, in this little book, uh, which is a shortened version of the big book, Seven Practices for the Church on Mission. I, I talk about how Jesus gave us practices, disciplines for opening up space for presence. Now, ironically, these things are called sacraments in the Roman Catholic Church. Anabaptist theologians call them social sacraments. We do this together, and Jesus promises to be present. And so, uh, this middle circle that I'm going to talk about in a minute, 
is the house in the neighborhood, the house fellowship in the neighborhood, or just the fellowship. There's some women in our church that have a garden. They love gardening. You know, I'm not into it. I, I don't go to that fellowship. I wish I were into gardening, but they're into it. And they just have a cup of coffee, garden for an hour, and then they share, thanking God, and they share, a, a, I don't know what it is, a muffin and a coffee. And they learn about each other's lives. They tend to each other's presence. But in my house, it's on Sunday night now, and uh, we sit around, all ten of us, and there's about eight kids. And uh, the first thing we do is we say a Eucharistic prayer. That's what the uh, Catholics call a Eucharistic prayer. Thank you, Lord, from the beginning of the earth. They go through the whole story in the Eucharistic recitation of the story of God. Well, we don't do that on, on Sunday night, but we thank, when you thank God, you open up your life to receive what he's going to do right here. I mean, even if you're in McDonald's and you're having a number three sandwich and a large coffee, thank you, Lord. What are you going to do here? And then there's, there's the epiclesis there. The Lord be present in our gathering. Help us to tend to one another in this gathering. Help us to tend to what God's doing in other people. And then we sit. We thank God for the food, and then we break bread, and then we eat. And, and we just have a meal, and we tend to one another's lives. And we say, no cell phones here. I don't know if you've seen, there's a play I saw in Chicago. I think it was called The Table. If you can get it on film. It's just this incredible story. By the way, if, I'm not... Blue Bloods is a CBS story, uh, a show that plays every, is it Sunday night? I, I, Friday night? Okay, it's a, th there's a little weird stuff going on about police and stuff there, but here, here's the great thing. Okay, yeah, it's a little bit, I'm not in favor, but here's what I love about this show. Here's what got me into this show. You got all this violence and all this weird stuff going on in all these different parts of the family, and then they all gather every single time around a table, and they end up tending to one another around the table and sorting things out. Now, the one thing they don't have, they don't fully realize that God's present in that table because they're Catholics. They're Irish Catholics, and they only think that God's in the bread and the wine for about 10 minutes on Sunday morning, right? Um, but having said that, I love that show. And um, the mo where, so to answer your question, my me your name? Stephen. Stephen. Dave. Stephen. Uh, Stephen, uh, I, f I have sensed the presence of God more readily, intentionally at that table. The other time, the other times I sensed the presence of God, I've had about three bad landings in a plane in the last, like, two years. Oh, man. Lord. Oh, Lord. Be present with me, Lord, and be present with the pilot. I know that you are overcoming all things, and if I'm going to go down, I want to go down in your presence. You know, uh, <laughs> those are key moments. Early, early in the morning, I read the lectionary every morning. There's this guy, Wayne, in the McDonald's I hang out with now. Sometimes, man. But that table on Sunday night is, the, is really significant. Our Sunday morning gathering, I'm grumpy if I don't, in, if I don't encounter the, the presence of the risen Lord. 
that's probably not the right attitude, but yeah. Every Sunday night, five o'clock, I wouldn't miss it. You know, there's plenty of people that'll miss church on Sunday morning, and I go, well, like, if you knew that you were, you had an appointment to encounter the risen Lord, his manifest presence. Oh, but Jesus is everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Omnipresence, manifest presence. I wanted to encounter the manifest presence of the Lord on Sunday morning. I don't want to miss it. Now, I, to be honest, I am disappointed because sometimes the church service doesn't um, match expectations. I don't want to blame anybody because I'm one of the pastors. <laughs> but I just think that's what we're doing every Sunday when we gather. We're encountering the presence of the living Lord in the table and the proclamation of the gospel and in the submission of our lives in praise and thanksgiving to God. And it shapes us so we can go out and encounter him the rest of the time in the week. All right, so let's try this. Let's go, uh, um, I think I'm going to go into these practices uh, real quickly because they'll dovetail into these into these circles. Um, uh, so let me just remind myself. Yeah, we need practices. We need practices to open space for the presence to become manifest in our lives, the presence of Christ to become manifest. We need practices. Um, God has given us seven at least. Did you know the history of the sacraments? Uh, Joseph Martos, the history of the Christian church in, 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 the, in the sacraments? said at one time there's as many as 22 sacraments, you know. Um, but historically, the Roman church has said seven, at least seven. I think there are seven. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not just saying I think. I'm just respecting the history of the church. Uh, but if you look at the way the church worked, there's seven. And so let me just give you one. Um, well, there's the table. Well, let's just explore the table for a little bit. Uh, the table, there's the close table, the words of institution. Emmaus wrote, Luke 24, Jesus, the risen Lord, is walking with the two disciples. They've, they, he's, they've been, he's been explaining to them what just happened with the death and the resurrection. And they're, he's about ready to go on and they say, hey, 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 come. It's getting late. Come, come into my house and sit around this table. We'll have a meal. And it's in the breaking of the bread around the table that he becomes recognized and known. And then they're going, after he leaves, they go, didn't we know him? Didn't we recognize him in the breaking of the bread? Right? Luke 24 something. Church has always recognized that Jesus is present. Whenever you do this, uh, do this in remembrance of me, the words of institution. Uh, be present to my presence is another way to uh, translate anemesis to this in remembrance of me. And um, so it's a very close, tight group. 
everybody's discerning the presence because when you are discerning and submitting your life mutually to the lordship of christ he becomes real around the table he promises it and uh so in first corinthians 11 there's the agape feast and then there's an instituted lord's supper and paul says you are not this is not the lord's supper you are um eating because you are not discerning it you're not discerning first corinthians 11 no and he said, it is because of this you are getting sick and dying. I mean, when, when Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 11, I hope you realize he's alluding to the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of Christ, of God in Israel. And when people got too close, without discerning it, they died. They touched it and died. And, and so um, this is a very close table, a very discerning table. It's the ground zero of the Lord's table it teaches us so much about the logic of the way God works like um, forgiveness the broken bread this is for the forgiveness of sins God's presence always moves you towards forgiving and being forgiven so when you're sitting across someone at McDonald's and you you hear that hurt and that pain and that guilt or that inability to forgive oh you know God's pushing them and you sense the grief you know his presence is moving them towards forgiveness and setting the person free likewise in reconciliation um, um, if there's any enmity between you or anyone around this room do not go to the table Jesus says go and make it right it brings us to reconcile one with another it's like the birthing of a new world folks a new social reality where we forgive, we reconcile. In the, in the, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new relationship we have with God the Father through the Son by the Spirit, the healing of the world. And so when we drink, we're receiving healing and we are offering healing to the rest of the world. And so you know when you're sitting across that table in McDonald's and someone is hurting and needs the healing work of the Holy Spirit, we need to open up space, discern, and pray and anoint. I mean, if you look at the first 100 years of the church, 150 years, people were getting healed in the streets all over the place. And people were coming to Christ. Need to make space, though, for it. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew somewhere, I can't heal anybody here because there is no faith. Faith is there's no trust. There's no space. There's no trust, submission for me to work, my presence to work in this place. So that's the close table. That's what I think most churches do on Sunday morning. We are proclaiming the gospel. We are reconciling. We are sharing in the table. That's the first circle. I don't know what Zach is doing right now. I don't know what he's doing over there. But uh, that's the first circle up there. Okay, I'm, I was just joking. Zach, we're, we're okay? You and me? We're okay? Okay. Sorry, I was just joking, man. It's the wine. Best wine I've ever tasted. <laughs> Second, but, but the presence of Christ does not stop in the, in the close circle. It goes into the dotted circle, the home. So if you read Acts 22, 46... You read Acts 2, 46. 
day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. That's the close circle, the temple, presence, God, manifest presence of God. They broke bread from house to house and their food with glad and generous hearts. So they were in the houses in the neighborhoods. That's the second circle, the dotted circle. praising God and having the good will of all all the people the surrounding people they were in the half circles of the hurting and the pain and they, they were looked upon favorably because they were there and they were present and so um, the dotted circle is is extending the presence into the neighborhoods um, but it's a dotted circle because there's not this this uh, high level of discernment. There's there's people can come and watch. There's still Christians putting the circle together, and we're discerning the presence in our lives. I call this the discipleship circle. Um, but neighbors can watch, can look, can see, can be can have a witness. So. As I was about to say, this, this happens in gardening for some people in my church. This happens a lot of times. Three, we, we have a, we're a church plant. We have roughly 45 adults now and about 30 children. And, and, uh, and uh, we have three house groups, house groups, who meet around a table in the neighborhood. And this is what we do. We do a Eucharistic prayer. I already started to describe this. And then we do the epiclesis, Lord be present. And then we, we thank God and submit to his presence and and close the prayer and then we eat it's a, always a potluck dinner it's always someone who brings the dessert someone who brings the bread someone who brings the meat sometimes we just have tacos uh but anyways uh uh my wife organizes that wonderfully actually it's not that big of a deal it's like takes five minutes on an email you know it's no big deal and we come and we do that prayer and then for an hour we just sit around and talk we sit around and talk we share life. If anyone starts popping off and making a big show of themselves, that's not tending to the presence of the other person. So the leader will probably say to me, you know, Fitch, can we hear from George? George, do you have a question for Judy? Ooh. <laughs> you, know? you know? You know how it goes? you you, you got to tend to the presence. Allow space for the presence. Present. This isn't about me or you. This is about us and what God wants to do here. And, you know, if someone's looking at the phone, hmm, just, Gordon, if you hear this, you know what I'm talking about. Put the phone away. There is no phones allowed. Everybody is around the table. And we tend to the other person. Around an hour, uh, we break out the coffee and the dessert and and the leader asks a question it's either an up in or out question this is just a question to direct our conversation to issues that we're dealing with and how how we can think how we can think or reflect on how god's working in our lives so it'll be an up question like your personal relationship with god an us question what's going on here or an out question what's going on in our neighborhood and and um, we try to split those up evenly to cover all bases from week to week. And sometimes it'll be as simple of a question as, what do we, why do we come here? 
every Sunday night. And one night I asked that question. And John said, this is the most important three hours of my entire week. I have never been known or have known people like this in my whole entire life. And this, this guy dealt with some issues in his life. Um, I don't want to say too much because this is recorded, but amazing how once you get to trust and understand the dynamics and feel the work of the Holy Spirit around this table, people start dealing with their lives. Their marital issues, their single issues, their bodily issues, their mental issues, their problems with their neighbors, their problems with each other. And we learn about ourselves and we get discipled. The middle circle is the discipleship space. The first space is the worship space. We work out everyday life, and we let the neighbors in on it. But it's still discipleship. It isn't until the third space that I have McDonald's in there, because back when I was making this miserable slide, which is so, you know, pretty bad in terms of art I'm talking about. But I'm not an artist. I told your son I'm not an artist or a gardener. I'm a hockey player. I love hockey. But anyways, uh, the half circle is the guest space. The guest space. We go and we be guests in these places where people are living and hurting and pained and suffering. And we go be a guest. Luke 10 starts out by Jesus sending the 70 in twos. You go in twos. You don't go one. Sometimes I, I had to go to Potbelly Bars one. Well, my intention was already always to bring two and three people along with me, and now we have four total going to Potbelly Bar on Wednesday nights. Light beer, dollar fifty. Stale peanuts, and it's just the greatest place to meet people and engage and be present to what God's doing in people's lives. There's about four Vietnam War vets in their 70s that sit over on the bar way at the end. Hurting, hurting, hurting. Yeah, it's in the eyes what they've been through in their lives. Who's going to be the, the presence of Christ to all the pain they've been through? Um, but uh, uh, Jesus says, go without a purse, no money. Don't bring power. Go as sheep among wolves. There's all kinds of power structures going on here. But um, you go as lambs among wolves. You go humbly, vulnerably there. Not to overthrow the powers, but to disrupt them with the presence of Christ. And uh, he says, uh, stay in that place. Don't go from house to house. I mean, he's not quoting Acts chapter 2 evidently at that point. Uh, this is Luke chapter 10. Remain in one place long enough to know and listen and see what's going on. The harvest is plentiful. You don't have to do the harvest. You just have to pick what's ready to be, what's already ripe. This is how God sends us into the world. Um, I believe that, and then the gospel shall be proclaimed, by the way. Gospel, 
the, the kingdom is actually. And then, then he says, proclaim the kingdom after you go through all that. And he says, those who, you who, those who receive what you say, uh, receive me. Those who reject what you say, reject me. And, and it's like the kingdom's breaking in. You remember how they return? They go, Lord, you can't believe what I saw. What I just saw, Vin Scully, in the 1988 World Series. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Kirk Gibson. Kirk Gibson. Yeah, I can't believe what I just saw. The demons were exercised in your name. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. You know, this is the kind of thing that God's calling us to make space for. And so they're all pumped up. And then he says something like this. Uh, don't get too excited about yourselves. Uh, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. I take that to mean uh, something like this. The power is not yours, pal. The power is the power of the king. Just be glad you're a citizen of the kingdom and you're participating in it. But don't think you control anything. Because the minute you think you control it, he gone. That's a Ken Harrelson, Hawk Harrelson. He calls a third strike uh, when the opposing batter gets out. This is White Sox. White Sox, south side Chicago. He gone! You know, uh, anyways, <laughs> whenever, you, whenever you seek to control God out there, he gone! He cannot be controlled. He can only be made space for. If we do not inhabit all three circles, we become, we become a shadow of what it means to be a Christian. We can't dwell in the close circle all by itself. It becomes a kind of defensive enclave, a maintenance. I call it maintenance Christianity. Let's just go to Sunday to keep ourselves going for the rest of the week. Okay, if we, only, if we only do justice efforts in the half circle without the other two circles, we will get exhausted. We will be doing it on our own. How many people know burnt-out justice warriors who haven't learned to depend on Jesus to get the work of justice done? Um, I'm sure there's a lot of questions on that. I'm willing and open to receive. By the way, I'm willing, when you open space, you're always going to get, you know, criticism and, and engagement is good, so I hope you feel free to do that. Do you feel free to, do you feel free to yeah. bring it, bring it on? I was going to share uh, some experiences with the Bible, right? Oh, okay. Can I just finish one thought? If, if you separate the half circle from the other circle, burnout, exhaustion. If you separate the closed circle, I'm pointing at that screen because I can't see this one, it turns into maintenance. You must, Christians must live in all three. If you don't have the half circle, you get like all stuck on yourself and all defensive and actually you think Christianity is about maintaining your own personal good life. But when you are challenged by what God does in other people's lives and the miracles of what he wants to do in this culture and in the systems of evil and transform it, you are alive and you get transformed. You can't live Christian life apart from living it in all three circles. And so the church is not just uh, one of those circles. It's all three circles. It's an entire way of life. Okay, I'm done. I'd like to hear what, I'd like to hear this.
And this was in Nigeria? Yeah. Well, one of the practices was prayers. Yes. Sometimes we would have services for hours and we just do non-stop prayers. And there have been um, real tangible manifestations of God's presence. There was one time when I was in my first year in college. It was just a group of us students, maybe like 200, 250. Uh, we rented a hall. person just a group of people started leading praise and we praised just singing choruses and praising the name of him for about an hour and all of a sudden the whole room was so full of presence of God everybody fell out just the whole room just like in unison we all just were on the floor mm. and every, just like and the presence of God was so in a very tangible way very heavy in the room and as people could peel themselves off of the floor that was the end of the service and later there were just testimonies after testimonies of things that God had you know, working in people's lives and this I've experienced things like this both in large groups and in small groups just, um, I remember being uh, with a friend of mine uh, we were just sharing the word of God and we you know, were also in college and I think that was in my fourth year. And we were both uh, student Christian leaders and all of a sudden the presence of God hit the room and both of us were speaking in tongues. He was prophesying, I was trying to catch what he was saying and I would you know, I would start prophesying and he was trying to catch try and record what I was saying. And it was it was it was totally unplanned for, totally unexpected. We're just having a conversation. It was just like, and we just were just praising in tongues and in, in, in the understanding. And um, I'll give a third example of mm. this. Um, this happened in the church service. It was one of the weirdest that ever happened in, in, in church for us. Um, someone was leading praise and worship. The praise leader was leading the praise service fell out, which was not uncommon in my in, in the environment, in the spiritual environment that we were, because there was a whole lot of and the presence and the power of God. But this was unusual in the sense that the first person fell out, another person took their place, fell out, the third person took their place, fell out, the first person at this time had already was up and picked the microphone and fell out on the floor. At this point, the pastor stopped the service and like, I don't know what's going on. God wants to do something in this service. I, I was preparing to come up and preach. I have no idea what's going on here. And just, he just came on stage and said, and just symbolically said, God, this is your service. I am going to do sit down and do what you will. And there were just, you know, such feelings we have in this service. Uh, all sorts of uh, testimonies, mostly healings, happened in those services without the pastor directing anything. It was just just the, um, mm. just, but there had been tons and tons of teaching along the presence of God, just the manifest presence of God in when believers gather together. And I feel like um, one of the reasons um, 
why, uh, because people were really attuned to this kind of thing uh, in Nigeria. Because we, after living here for a while, so because we don't have certain certain kind of that the West has, you know, with um, too much knowledge or too much comfort, there's a lot of poverty. Uh, people are just open and ready to receive of God, and the intensity of prayer that we do is would drive people uh, in America nuts in terms of. I mean, I for it, I know that. Every night I would walk to church with a friend who would come and pick me up at my house. We would walk to church about two miles. So would pick me up around 9 p.m. We walk in the dark because most of the roads don't have street lights and all that. We walk to church, pray all night standing, and walk back home at between 3 and 5 in the morning every night, every Friday night for years. And almost any time in church throughout the year, at least five of the days or seven days of the week, there's all night Mm. And so there was that mm. atmosphere that by the time we came to service, there was always that anticipation of what God's going to do. And irrespective of whoever was coming to preach, it did not it was not dependent on whoever was coming to preach. There was always preparation of intense prayer and praise and this expectation that God would speak through whoever would stand up. four-year period where this happened with that intensity, there was, there were intense miracles. Like people, I've actually been in service where somebody, this is somebody actually got healed and got their crutches and witnessed that. Um, and there were, I've, I've experienced personal healing through those services where it was, because I, I think also because of the background, I can say that Nigeria does have a great health system. So we don't we don't have a mindset that if this doesn't work, there's going to be one doctor that's going to be sent or some uh, surgeon that's going to help you out. You see God as the surgeon, and you see God as the healer in a very in a stronger way because there's just no for most people there's no other alternative. And just because you come with that expect, expectation, there's just real. Uh, they're very tangible manifestations. So when it comes to the presence of God, there's, I, I've experienced it much, much. In, in almost in ways I can say, I know when He walks into the room. When quite literally, you know, I've, when you feel like God walks into the room and He's here, and every and you don't have to announce it to anybody. The whole congregation knows when that moment happens. And Pastor just lifts up his hands and says, "God, do your thing." Like sometimes the whole section of the auditorium, as if planned, will just fall out under the power, and there's just real. And, mm-hmm. and the rest of the service is just coming to the microphone and sharing what did God do for us. Okay, so uh, let me uh, ask you a question. Um, <clears throat> because uh, so I, being a Canadian American, hear that. And I'm going, oh man, I gotta go to Africa, <laughs> or, or oh man, I gotta get out of here. Um, 
and I was, I was having this conversation with somebody uh, at Fresh Expressions, uh, I think yesterday. Um, my first inclination is to go, I got to go make this happen at my church. I got to make healings happen. I got to do this. I got to do that. I've got to praise God for like three hours. I got to have intense prayer. And, and my experience of the American problem is we think we can get God to do that uh, based on a certain set of things. If we copy what you do, what you did in Nigeria, we'll do. We'll get what God did in Nigeria. And, and that's a temptation. And again, whenever we try to control God and control the outcome, we get some pretty weird stuff in America. You and I were talking about prosperity gospel earlier tonight. Uh, my my grandfather was a faith healer in Ottawa, Canada. Started a church of 3,000 in three months by holding open-air healing meetings. But I don't know that he ever thought he was going to build a church of 3,000 in three months. I, whenever we try to control God, he gone. We just got to open up space for what he's going to do see what happens what do you think what do you think about what I just said because I'm afraid us Americans hear what you just said and we got well, either we got to go to Africa or we got to make this make this happen we got to do the same five things praise all night every Friday night for five hours uh, you know we got to get slain in the spirit 52 times <laughs> and we can what, what do you you have any wisdom for us on that Being open, yes. That, that is, we usually, we used to say that expectation is the atmosphere of a miracle. It was just a saying. <coughs> people, you were taught to come to church with expectation. You didn't just come to attend service and you, you brought something. You brought your expectation. You brought your tithe. You brought, there was, there was, you expected Mm-hmm. And so, because that was a thing, it was even even with I would go visit or friends would hang out from church, and we could start a service right there. It's just like just hanging out. I mean, people are wondering what what is going on with these people because someone someone you come to a meeting. I give an example. A friend of mine, he was so so tuned. Um, he was my roommate in college. Mm-hmm. He, he, he got saved and was so on fire for God. He had to, such a strong apostle in college that today he pastors a church. He pastors is head of sales in many churches, but he's he's on Christmas Lane, probably a couple of thousand. But he would stand in front of a person and not not by planning it. It just was just things. without saying the word, they start crying for their sins in front of them and they pray for them and they get saved. That was the kind of aura around him. Or you're having a conversation, a word of knowledge. You just you just know something about the person's life and you speak it to their life and like God is saying such and such. And you know this is, this person is not messing around with you because it's real. 
And uh, one of the weirdest services we had was when we had, um, weird in a good way, by the way. Well, we had a minister come in from, from Ghana to Nigeria, to our church in Nigeria. And this guy had the most, till date, the, the most significant prophetic ministry I've ever been in. This guy had never been to Nigeria up to, the, up to that point. And he would call out names. I'm just on stage. He would call out names that he's never heard before. And three people or four people would answer, oh, this is that person's name. No, no, say, this is what you did before you left me. This is what you said to your mother. And that specific person will walk up and say, okay, you, and they'll give a specific word about their life. And it was, this went on for about three hours. It wasn't a short experience. And I loved what he did next because the next day, the church was packed to overflow. And he said, yes, the gift of God is available for me to do the same thing, but I'm going to teach the word of God because we cannot build, we cannot build on gifts. We have to build on the foundation of God's word. And so he just decided to teach. And so there are, I've noticed the openness to be able to, to be used of God and not sometimes not knowing how God is going to use you and not planning how it's going to be used. That openness is not as easily found because people are timid, I guess, when knowledge has a way of um, blocking that out sometimes when there's a certain pride of, and you know, you have to be procedural. If this is the formula, like you said, if, if I do X, Y, Z, Yeah, what you want him to do? Yeah, let's let's move over here while I get another glass of wine.
spending time trying to hear God or know what he's about, then I'm sensitive to the person that I'm sitting next to because I'm out of the way. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really there. I'm just, oh, God, what, what's going on here? What's going on with them? So, um, I think also a tragic lack of skill that our culture that we stand that in Catholic is, you know, connecting with people Yes, obviously, everybody feel free to go get some more wine or some more cheese or some more. Okay, so I got one more little piece for you. Um, presence, places, three places, and practices. And so um, I want to suggest that there are actually practices, disciplines we can do that by the very nature of the practice, we submit ourselves, like you're talking, your name, uh, Brian. Brian, like Brian's talking about. You know, wh your name again? Toye. Toye, the temptation is to go out and, and do five or six things that you've already mentioned that worked over there and make it happen here. We need to learn how to also submit ourselves Jesus has given us, handed us these practices, and I've kind of talked about them in and out, but in this, in this book, and in, in this short version, I talk about seven of them, and they're the sacraments of the Holy Roman Catholic Church, but um, they're the table, they're the practice of the table. I've already described that. And I've, I've described it, how it happens on Sunday morning, but how it happens in the neighborhood, and how it happens in McDonald's, or Potbelly Bar, or in a garden club, or in these places of hurt, having a meal across from a table. This place is opened up. Jesus promises to be there. Uh, reconciliation, Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Um, if there's a disagreement you have with somebody, go to that person. Tell them you they have sinned against you. If they do not listen, bring in a third. If two or three, and if they don't agree, bring others there. If Two or three gather in my name. In my name is a code word for under my authority and reign. And submit to me. And agree. Come to an agreement. This is not about winning an argument. This is about what do we do with this and where do we go. He says, I am there in the midst. That's the Roman Catholic sacrament of penance. But um, that's why they call it a sacrament. Because through this act, Jesus becomes present. But I'm an Anabaptist. You know, when we gather, we do it. Jesus becomes present. He says when, when uh, what is bound on earth, when two or three gather in my name and agree, I'm there. And what is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. What is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is kingdom language, right? These are those the keys of the kingdom given to St. Peter, remember? The chains shall be bound, shall be broken. What is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Um, it's, it's rabbinic language that talks about 
setting into stone this new reality that God wants to do in our lives so that every time we have a conflict, God can enter in and be present and something new can happen if we will submit to his presence. Not try to go in there and win an argument. Well, we learn how to do this in the church, in the close circle, but we do it around the table at our house on Friday nights every time we get it. Conflict is pretty much an everyday human phenomena. I'd say conflict is good. Conflict is a sign God's working. Now can we just open up space for him to work in the practice of mutually submitting? You know, so I don't want to talk too much tonight, folks, because frankly, I can only bear to listen to myself so long, too, you know. So I, I go into these stories, but there, there was this, in, in this book, I tell the story about Joe, who was, uh, uh, lived across the street from this gathering place at Life on the Vine, and Joe was an ex-convict, and Joe had just lost his job, mainly because he, he had uh, smacked his boss. And uh, Joe had, hadn't paid his rent in two months, and Joe uh, had a complaint against his landlord that his mail was coming into his mailbox, who, uh, of which rent he hasn't paid in two months. And so there's this conflict. So me and another guy go over there and go, Joe, what's going on? We hear all this and, and the landlord is invited in. There's no, no, there's no um, agreement. And so I ask Joe and, and the landlord to, let's have a second meeting. Joe, invite two or three more friends. And landlord, who's not a Christian, who hasn't entered the door of a church in 40 years, says, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I'll come over. And we, we meet with Joe's two friends, me and another person, and Joe and the landlord. And we pray the prayer, Lord, be present in this place. Help us to submit to you. I say, Joe, present your sin to the landlord according to Scripture. And Joe says, you've sinned against me. You put your mail in my mailbox, blah, 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 blah. And the landlord says something about, well, it's advertisements, and I really have no control where those advertisements go, and sorry for that, blah, blah, blah. And then someone asked Joe, well, Joe, you haven't paid rent in two months. Do you really have a right to complain about this? And one thing leads to another, and there's a palpable presence of Christ there. And Joe gets up and leaves and runs out of the room. As we found out later, he ran up a tree, hidden a tree. And, um, and it was a serious situation. And uh, we're all sitting around there, and I say to um, this woman, uh, maybe you go find Joe and while they're out trying to find Joe the landlord says I can't believe it's another Kirk Gibson moment I can't believe what I just saw it actually wasn't those exact words but I can't believe this I did not know Joe was going through this I forgive Joe two months rent and I give him one more rent for free and then another guy, the one of the other guy that was in there says, look, the church can throw in another month of rent. We have that in the budget. And we all started to pray for Joe. Joe came back in. Joe asked forgiveness. And he and we told him, look, your your rent's forgiven and you got two more months f f rent paid for. And kingdoms started to break out. Healing. Joe started to deal with some domestic violence issues in his own marriage. One thing led to another, led to another. But it took a practice. God was already at work in the neighborhood. The landlord, evidently there was provenient grace. God, the Spirit, was working. 
But it took a practice of bringing them together and opening up space for the presence of Christ to become manifest in that place and do this work. I've since learned that that's not just for the church through that experience. It's for all the conflicts. It's for the conflicts around the table between Christians. The neighbors see. The, Judy, person without a home, started living with one of our families, saw how some of us dealt with marital conflict. Some of us have a lot of marital conflict. I know that's rare. Well, we would talk about our marital conflicts and, and Rayanne and I would talk and Aaron and Catherine would talk and then Judy would go, what? And we'd talk about, you know, how we dealt with this and I didn't know you could even do that. You can forgive one another? I thought you'd just like give each other the finger and walk out and cool off for three days. <laughs> and, and, and she saw the kingdom and we had a vicious racial incident in our, in our neighborhood. And one person wanted to run to the police, protect the girl from the guy. And look, whoa, wait a minute. We've got something else here. It's called the presence of Christ. I mean, we might have to, there might be a need for protection, but before we jump the gun, let's open up space for the kingdom. There's a zoning committee racial incident in the zoning committee in our town over a restaurant before we start you know first of all protest is good raises awareness but then let's bring people together and let's open up space for what god's going to do the revolution healing renewal so that's reconciliation there's the the practice of being with children and presence and how god expects us to be with the children in the world bring forth his kingdom not just in our own churches there's the practice of being with the poor the hurting Matthew 25 do you know the early church this became the Roman Catholic um, sacrament of unction healing being with the poor being with the hurting the least of these the pr people in prisons if you want to know where the mission field is. Is there a hospital nearby here? How far away? Okay. If you can walk to your hospital, that's your mission field. Spend, uh, go to the chaplain. I want to be with hurting people. I want, I want, I want to minister to them for four hours uh, twice a month. Space opens up in the hospital room. Those of us who are pastors or chaplains know. This is where people meet God. And actually, every time I've been in a hospital room, when I've understood Jesus, the risen Lord, will become present in the room with the poor, the hurting, the sick, if I will just be with them. As I tell a story in the book about teaching young pastors how to go to the hospital, and we're going up the elevator to the hospital, and Jeff says, what am I going to do? What do I say? probably shouldn't have told you who it was because you actually know him. Oh, well, don't tell him I said that. Lips are sealed. And he says, what am I going to do? What do I say? I go, you're going to shut up. <laughs> Nothing. You're not going to say anything. Opened up space and we just we sit there, how you doing? What are your fears? 
I remember just feeling the presence of Christ one time in the veterans hospital one day and and uh, I just felt the Lord was there and I prayed Jesus is Lord over this room <laughs> and then uh, over at that whiteboard that the doctors use I erased it and I wrote the words Jesus is Lord here and I walked out and I was so powerfully impacted by what I felt was healing going on in that room and that dude this was like eight years ago that dude who had a massive stroke is just fine eight years later but um, I, I just uh, feel like being with the poor the early church if there's this book by Gary Anderson a Yale historian on charity I think the title of the book is charity and um, it's all about how the early church walked around looking to be with the poor because they believe there isn't Christ that's where the sacrament was go be with the poor and Christ will minister to me by being with the poor and that's where people are going to meet Christ so um, I'm just going to close with this uh, there's seven practices the Lord's table reconciliation proclaiming the gospel being with the least of these being with children the giftings of the Holy Spirit or the fivefold giftings and kingdom prayer which I say I've discovered is the foundation for all of them and they join us together in this in these practices of opening up space for the presence of God so folks uh, it's been great being with you here tonight uh, and I'm open for more questions more discussion more good wine uh, but I just want to challenge you that God's called you to be the presence of Christ in this place he's called you to be present to his presence and make his presence visible not just here in this great space in the space you're going to but in every space oh oh uh, Zach can you show the uh, the two cute pictures with the maps on them? okay the first one the one before that okay wait a minute go back to the other one sorry okay a lot of people think about church in this way this is the church building there's a thousand people I know that there's not a thousand people I'm just using this as a round number and you see all the arrows going in and everybody's going to church and this is where church is a thousand people oh we had a thousand people at church on Sunday morning go to the next one Zach okay then I say well what if it's a hundred people and they have these house groups here here and here and everybody has relationships in the in the transit system where they go to work City Hall where they are on the zoning committee McDonald's where they eat breakfast every morning the hockey rank YMCA the gymnasium the workout place the garden the theater club I mean how many play the hospital the coffee shop notice it's not a Starbucks <laughs> anyways let's just say every one of these people had four relationships spaces they had opened up where God was gonna work it might take a year it might take two it may take five years 
Do we have a church of a hundred or do we have a church of a thousand? And which church is going to make a bigger impact in the world for, for what God's doing in his kingdom? I'd say it's this church. I say you got 12 people, I don't know how many people are, 12, 10. And you got each four or five cultivating relationships in the kingdom. You got a powder keg for the kingdom of God. I pray you be the presence of Christ here in this place and out there. Can I pray for you real quick? Lord, I just pray a blessing on this church. I pray a blessing and an encouragement on this place that you've called them not only to enjoy and be present to your presence and the empowerment that all you want to do in our lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, in the things you're doing in our lives in the future, in our work, but Lord, you want to spread your kingdom and change the world. And this is the way you have promised to change the world. Like a mustard seed, it'll grow into a huge, beautiful tree. We pray this kind of blessing on this church for the future of your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. And I'm hanging around for some more wine. And, I, and I'm not driving. I'm just walking to the uh, whatever that hotel is. Don't worry about it.